Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You. We always bring you some very, very iconic names, some very interesting individuals. And today we have my own namesake, Ashutosh Mayank, who's a senior private equity investor. Ashutosh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Just the namesake, not as much popular as you are. No, Just to add. We'll all get there. <laughs> so, Ashutosh is from IIT Kanpur. He's an MBA from IIM Calcutta. He's worked for Tata Motors, JP Morgan Chase, Ernst & Young, and now he works for Loomis Partners, which is one of the major private equity firms in the country. Ashutosh was also uh, given the Global Performance Award at Loomis Partners a few years ago. Ashutosh, based on all the experience that you have, talk to us a little bit about your early journey before Loomis Partners. Yeah, sure. Essentially, I was born and brought up in Lucknow. It's a small town. It's now one of the biggest cities in Uttar Pradesh, but back in the early So 80s, I have to ask you, which school did you go? I went to Mahanaga Boys Inter College. Okay. I was in La Martiniela. Oh, in Lucknow itself? Lucknow. Okay, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so good healthy competition back those days. But the point was that it's a small town upbringing that I come from, right? And those days, the late 80s and all, right? You had limited exposure, right? So you were made to believe that if you don't study well, it's end of your professional life. So, you know, because of coming from that background, we all in our relatives and all the, the friends group, we were a group of studious people, right? And not by choice, by, but by force, right? And one thing after the other, I got admission into IIT Kanpur. It was an eye-opening experience for me. And the kind of things that I gained there are essentially unmeasurable, let me put it this way. Because of the fact that, you know, the environment that you get there is the real carry forward in your life, right? And this actually holds true for, you know, most of the academic institutions sure. these sure. days, right? The, that is the environment. I would not talk about the facilities. Faculty is obviously great, you know, but the peer group you are exposed to and the kind of interactions that you have. Absolutely. And what did you specialize in? So I specialize in mechanical engineering okay. and after that I actually went to Tata Motors. Okay. You know, it, once again, a, a good change of pace there because Tata Motors, it's a very benevolent organization, right? And I joined them as a graduate engineering trainee, no clue of what the factory life looks like mm. and was exposed to some of the practical life experiences of what I just learned in the theory in terms of, you know, internal combustion engine. And it was exciting time because Tata's were launching Tata Nano at that time, right? So there was a huge churn internally as well. People were trying to figure out you know, things, right? The paint shop, for example, was not ready. So how do you get that, you know, little machine painted? Right? So those are the things, challenges that we were facing. Now, within a year, actually, I got admit and invite into IM Canon. It was a you know, little bit of a tough decision. But unfortunately, I thought that, you know, the factory life is is not what is exciting me, right? Let me figure out the next journey in my life. So join IAMCAL. Just after IAMCAL, once again, something interesting happened. The year that I passed, 2007, was the year the whole financial meltdown happened. And what was it? The discipline that I Yeah, 2007-2008 was the meltdown that happened. And the division or the distinction that I had graduated or post-graduated with was finance, right? So... I was placed in JP Morgan Chase and the desk was derivatives, right? Wow. So right in the middle of the storm, right? And so I thought that, okay, before they throw me out, let me figure out the safe harbor. And that is where EY happened. EY, the whole transaction advisory services. 
I was still young. I thought that people will still want advice, right? That was the, <laughs> the, the degree of the thought process that went behind that. And EY, I spent close to three and a half years. Great experience. First time I learned what working for a global organization means. It was truly global, right? I was working, you know, with teams across various geographies for, you know, different, different clients. And that's where the love for, you know, analyzing you, if you might say, or experiencing different business model came from. Because I was part of the transaction advisory valuations team. So literally every project was like one month long. You actually have to derive a mathematical value equity or enterprise value of a big organization which has you know so many multiple dimensions right so how do you figure out at a number attached to that you know so there's art and there's science behind both yeah. and there's maths behind all three combined together but i was fortunate to actually get insight into various clients mm-hmm. right and then Lumis partners happen so i, I come okay. come to the other side okay. right where you know it becomes not just putting a number on a sheet of paper, but actually putting hard money behind you know, whatever is exciting you and seeing the journey grow. Very interesting. Tell us a little bit about what areas does Lewis Partners invest in? I know that I had co-invested with Lewis Partners in a company called Orange Cross yeah, many, yeah. many years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, which areas you invest in and then I'll get into more specific questions. Sure. So Lewis Partners is a, we call ourselves a operational investment fund in terms of, and I'll come to why we call it, call ourselves like that. Mm-hmm. But we invest in three specific areas and one horizontal area, I would say. So three specific areas are human capital, supply chain and, and healthcare. And I guess Orange Cross was, you know, a little bit of healthcare, healthcare and yeah. education mixed in, Correct. right? So these three are the vertical areas yeah. and the horizontal being the technology. So earlier we were investing in technology enabled or technology led organizations. But over the last couple of years, you know, we have started taking, you know, informed bets directly in companies which have technology as the revenue offering itself. So they are actually licensing or, you know, selling, you know, subscription services mm-hmm. of the internal technology that they have. So, you know, we have a lot of startup entrepreneurs who watch our podcasts Mm -hmm. and I personally mentor several startups. Most of them have great ideas, but the biggest challenge they face is raising money. Yeah. So the first question I have for you is at what stage should a startup think of raising money from outside? I mean, there's no, obviously there's no straight answer to that, right? But... Ultimately, if you look at traditional wisdom, they say that when the first round is friends and families, yeah. the second round you go to angels, the third round onwards you start looking at institutional investors, Absolutely. right? But now, you know, with the changing times, there are a lot of options available, and many a times even the institutions are you know changing the way they are providing funding, right? So, my simple answer to that would be, and which is the honest truth these days, that. You know, you should look at raising funding as soon as possible, right? And that might be a contrarian view to many of the other uh, experts in this field. But I have seen actually the the capital being, in many of the cases, being the differentiating factor between your idea becoming a success and going to the, you know, uh, going to the market and, and so on and so forth. And it remaining at a, you know, idea conceptual stage. So now, what are some of the things that investors looks like we can we can discuss about it but my straight answer would be look for it as soon as possible and if i was to come to you with a business plan Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you would look for in the business plan 
So now uh, I'll contradict my earlier question itself mm-hmm. and earlier answer itself, right? That when you would come to me, I would not just look at the uh, you know idea on a piece of paper. I would actually look at the traction that you have generated in the market, how the product market fit is coming in, how strong the team is, and and so on and so forth. And I'll I'll mention a few more things. Essentially, most of the investors, either angel or at institutional stage. have a kind of risk matrix either apparent or in their mind mm-hmm. where they try to understand what is the risk reward equation of the company that we are analyzing right so there is i mean obviously if the risk is high and the reward is low i would I mean that's very apparent in the first conversation itself and we let it go mm-hmm. and in my professional life i have you know almost with Hundred percent certainty. I think I can say that there is no company which has low risk and high reward, right? So now on the continuum of risk reward equation, you figure out where this company lies on various parameters. So that is how you go about it. Now in terms of parameters, just to quickly, you know, talk about some of the parameters. Uh, product market fit is is the biggest parameter. The entrepreneurs and the founding team is the second, and not in that order, but the the, the second parameter. the third parameter is the market size and how virgin that market is so that you, your idea can quickly proliferate either on the b2b or on the b2c side right and then there are associated factors around essentially competition around regulation and and all of that but what we all are trying to do is essentially place you on a risk reward matrix and see where you are like whether i have that kind of a risk appetite to go for big bang moonshot or i have a lower appetite and you know I'll still put in a safer bet is up to me, and various investors lie on that continent. Very interesting. I mean, I'll tell you a little instance. I'm an angel investor, and I've been investing in companies since early '90s. Mm-hmm. So I remember a time when I used to live in Singapore, and this is at the time of the dot-com boom. Oh, okay. Not the boom now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the dot-com boom was quite a crazy boom. The world. Yeah, yeah. The Yahoo had set the pace Correct. for for that kind of. Correct. Firm. Yeah. So I was in Singapore with another friend who was also an angel investor, and one person walked into the boardroom mm-hmm. um, without any paper, without any presentation, etc. So I, I said, I asked him, "So what's your plan? What's your business plan?" He said, "Can I take uh, a piece of paper from you?" So I tore out one sheet from my pad and gave it to him. So he drew three, four circles on it and articulated something, and he says, "Trust me, I've got a great business plan. Now put money." <laughs> right? Now that's how ridiculous it had got. So yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that you need a business plan, you need a direction, correct, and yes. uh, you need to be able to show something substantive, right, before right. an investor like you would take someone's plan seriously. Some of the plans seriously, yeah. So the minimum you need to have is a track record. Now it might not be in this idea that you are generating, but in your previous life, you need to show at least the founding team is capable of executing, right? If an investor backs you and and so on and so forth. So, if I take one more minute about trying to bridge the gap between you know the two answers, right? So, ultimately, as an entrepreneur, we we all and I have I myself have experienced entrepreneurial journey as a part of a co-founder of the firms, which didn't go through very well. But the funding aspect is very very important, and we try to raise it from various. pockets in various ways now the generating the traction and technology everything happens parallelly you know that is one thing which i find a little bit disconcerting these days in the startup entrepreneurs mind that you know they think about things serially okay i will raise funding then i will build in the team that team will build the technology 
the technology would be built and then I'll go out in the market and seek clients. The real life, everything happens parallel. Yep. The most successful entrepreneurs try to juggle between all these things, make it, make it uh, a good company. That is true. How much time would it take, assuming you find it suitable and everything, you know, diligence is done, etc. How much time would it take to get the money into my bank? So good question. Basically, these days, time is of essence, right? Most of the startup entrepreneurs are, uh, you know, the, the one thing which they don't have actually is time. Apart from obviously various other constraints, they are looking at trying to scale up their product really fast. Right? So just to take an example of a portfolio company without naming, right? We started, you know, the first interaction uh, started happening probably in the last year in the month of November, October, November, right? And we really liked the way they were, they had positioned their offering and uh, the way they were sourcing their their uh, partners, the supply partners or, you know, the base mm-hmm. of clients. And the conversation started around how we can, act, you know, work together and scale up, right? So after putting in the funding, how the company would scale up and we drew a 90 day, 180 day kind of a plan. And it was a joint plan where most of the time was spent on actually discussing and collaborating between us that, okay, what are some of the things that you need to do from your end? And what are some of the things that we will do from our end to make it a joint success, Mm -hmm. right? Once that plan was locked in, right, from that point onwards, the term sheet, the documentation, the legal formalities of diligence and all that happens very quickly. But the time between the first meeting and locking down what we need to do to make this success is the most important time. Mm. And actually, most of the investors are now have started functioning in that way that you show me a working model of how you and I can work together. It's not like, you know, I'll just write a check and yeah. you execute. Absolutely. We need to work together. Let's lock down that plan. After that, the term sheet will follow. Mm. But to answer your question directly, from the first interaction till the locking the plan, many a times it happens within, you know, literally 15, 20 days. Many a times it takes three months. Mm. But from the time the idea and the business model is locked down, the working model is locked down, right? From that point onwards, the term sheet, the diligence and documentation, it doesn't take these days for a good investor it doesn't take more than 45, 60 days, you know, literally and money in the bank can be as, as little as 30 days. So, uh, Ashutosh, you're leading a very interesting initiative for Loomis Partners uh, with your supply chain labs. Yes. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about supply chain labs. What is the whole concept? Sure. And uh, how, how, how does it work? No, so just talking in continuation with my last eight, nine years experience about interacting with some really great minds, mm-hmm. right? What we all were feeling as a part of Lumis Partners team was the fact that, you know, the whole model about interacting with the startup founders and understanding their model, understanding the team, what they are trying to do, it was becoming more of a one-way street, right? They would meet a lot of investors, mm-hmm. right? And they would try to find out those two or three investors who, who are really interested and who would take and have the domain knowledge and who would take it forward, right? But it was becoming a one-way street, right? They were meeting, 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 trying to excite people, trying to tell them about the model and so on and so forth. What do they gain out of it? So we said that, okay, we are interested obviously in supply chain. We have been investing. Why don't we actually create a platform where it is a two-way street, where the founders, the startup founders also gain from that time spent with us. So 
we created this platform called supply chain labs it is right now in the form of an accelerator so we'll select let's say a 7 to 10 people cohort 10 to 10 team cohort and we'll take them through various things that a startup entrepreneur needs right in its growth journey so not we'll necessarily supply chain alone actually this is uh, focused on supply chain. supply chain. so yeah so it's so yeah. entrepreneurs focused on the supply chain yes as a venture yeah, so their business model in the supply chain area, logistics, distribution, mm. supply chain finance, you know, and I can name a few more. Yeah. But the point being, the platform is able to give them uh, mentors. The platform is able to give them interested investors who are actually looking at supply chain and clients who are willing to innovate. We are willing to try out the startups. We have collaborated with MIT, which is, you know, the world's foremost institution on the supply chain. So NetNet, the whole story is we are putting together a platform which will actually help and we'll get to interact with these startups, you know, the selected startups anyway in that two to three journey. So I see it as a win-win on both the sides. So having worked with so many startup entrepreneurs, what would be the top two challenges you face with startup entrepreneurs? The startup entrepreneurs and the good ones, right? They have a lot of things going for them. And those things are in the form of team, the traction that they have built in, the model that they have figured out and a lot of things, right? At that stage, what I feel is there's, there's a lot of focus on dilution that you are willing to take, right? And I have seen things getting broken down just because, you know, investors asking for a couple of percentage points more versus the, the founder had a very hardcore idea that I'll dilute. 20% and not more, right? It doesn't make sense for me. So in many of the cases, I've seen startup entrepreneurs aligning with a different set of investors who are willing to give a higher valuation versus a set of investors who are willing to operationally help. In uh, you know return for that, they're asking for a couple of percentage points more, mm. right? So, so that focus on dilution is something which is very, very inherent and apparent in Indian ecosystem versus in the valley, right? So, uh, so that is one challenge. Right? The second challenge is somehow related to the fact that the startup founder thinks that his idea is brilliant and why aren't investors seeing the, the way it is, right? So it's very difficult for some of the startup founders to understand that ultimately we are you know, putting them on a risk reward matrix and every investor has a different appetite, right? So it's not one size fits all. So you need to find out the investor who is willing to take that kind of a risk, has that kind of a domain knowledge. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I'm not the right guy for you. So, so that understanding needs to be cultivated a little bit more. I mean, these are the two challenges. Very interesting. And conversely, now let me put you a little bit on the spot. Sure. Uh, what should an entrepreneur look for in a private equity investor? So private equity investor or venture capital investor, to my mind, I guess the founder has actually built up the company from scratch and with the help of, you know, his team and some clients and the technology and all, right? He, to my mind, needs and should command all the help and all the, uh, you know, operational involvement that he can get, right? So to my mind, you know, the entrepreneurs should seek investors who just don't have a you know a check to write but should be able to demonstrate that they can actually help in the growth of the company right and a good startup entrepreneur puts 
investors on spot. So I have been put on spot in front of the entrepreneurs and they have asked me point blank. Okay, great. You are thinking about you know, contributing the journey. What can you do for me? Yeah. And I'll, you know, in my early days, I used to rattle out few jargons and, and so on and so forth. And then he would say, okay, great. Can you sign up for that? Mm. Can you be a part of my team, face the board members, work with me for the three months and take that deliverable and at the time of next board meeting, you would be standing on the spot and you will be talking about the progress that you with a certain budget, with a certain resources have done in the last three months. Can you do that for me? And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where you know, I have seen many investors flounder and most of the successful startup founders, yeah. you know, get that mix right. They put the investors on the spot. They get them to sign up for certain deliverables. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, the good, in, uh, that's what differentiates, and that's what a startup founders should look for. So a lot of investments that are made are successful and a lot of them are not so successful. How does a private equity firm handle investments that are not successful? Because I've seen a lot of relationships sour yeah. between uh, the entrepreneur and the private equity investor. True, true. It's a tricky question. And I have seen various models, right? So the first and foremost thing that any investor tries to do when he sees that in his, you know, the portfolio company or the company that they have invested in is not functioning that well is to actually see if the model can be pivoted, right? And many of the startup founders, good startup founders actually agree with the investors saying that, okay, they, they see the writing on the wall. They still have money in the bank to actually do that kind of a shift. And very quickly, they align with the investors and try to pivot the model, right? To seek a new direction. Mm-hmm. Now, many times that, that may lead to success, that many times that may not lead mm-hmm. to success, right? So what the investor and the founders try to do is actually find a kind of arrangement where they start working with few major clients if it is a B2B uh, setup, right? So it becomes a company which has, you know, a captive base and may may not be having exponential growth, but it keeps on surviving. And, you know, the, the company then in many of the cases uh, tries to seek a strategic buyout with, with many of the other larger companies, right? But, you know, instead of rattling points in terms of philosophy of the investor, right? What we have done over the last few years, speaking from actually example, mm-hmm. we have helped companies expand into different geographies. If the going gets tough in one geography, we have uh, helped them market the solution better. If we see that traction is not happening, uh, we have opened doors at various strategies for a buyout or a strategic sale. IPO is the least of the mm-hmm. options. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. very easy to do. Mm-hmm. And if everything else fails actually we believe that you know that the founder has uh, done everything and you know we part ways on a, an agreeable level yeah, yeah, right? yeah now have we had smooth journey all along no have we parted with ways smoothly with all the past co-founders no they have been my experience sure. also they have been sour relationships as well sure. The only way to deal with, you know, sour relationships is the fact that essentially as an investor, you are, you are not a god, right? You have to take essentially bets and some of the bets do not go as well. And then there are human people and and egos and all of that. So you, you have to, at some point in time, take a backseat 
realize that okay you cannot be 100% correct and move on some of the good investors have done exactly that wonderful so moving on you're very young so, but i'm supposed yes. to ask you this question based on all the experience that you have what would be some of your learnings from some failures so one thing which i have learned philosophically is the fact that you need to try hard but you need to accept in your mind that you know not everything would go right and a sense of calmness a sense of maturity actually develops right the second thing that we have learned from the failure is most of the time failure comes when you are hard set on achieving things and you are not ready to shift your stance you are not ready to innovate you are not ready to accept a different outcome than what you really started with so if you start changing the goal post and you rationalize what failure looks like and navigate through that that is what i have learned that you know actually succeed so let me take an example right instead of all theory mm. so one of the companies that we were working with right they were essentially trying to you know see what it was a very good technology solution right and it was the heydays of that technology becoming you know really prevalent right you talk about dot com burst right now many of the technologies like ai ml iot robotic process automation all of these things are buzzwords and really coming up right so this company was was in that area right and quickly trying to expand right and we put up a lot of bandwidth in terms of marketing plan in terms of opening doors and the company was just not succeeding in in india right so after 6 months to 9 months it was actually a failure and we were left shaking our heads and thinking okay what should we do now right you know literally as short as 6 to 9 months of investing right did we actually take a wrong bet and we have done everything in our power so what we did was that okay you know india maybe is not the right market let's try out a different market right so what is a different market probably us now you know literally you have burned probably 20 25% of the capital raise and us is at least 10 times not 10 times okay but at least 4 5 times more expensive mm. to actually build up do we take that bet or not we decided okay what the hell let's take that bet and we shifted the goal post itself to see if we can succeed in us okay. you know by god's grace and by you know some of the workings that we did we actually managed to establish base started winning clients in us and now the company has actually raised the second round after us because of the success that we mm-hmm. had in us right so netnet the point i'm saying is you need not have a fixed goal post and the failure may need not be defined by that fixed goal post mm-hmm. change the goal post see what happens so i come to my last question sure. um, and i think you've been very very open about a lot of comments about startup entrepreneurs and funding what would your advice be to a young startup entrepreneur so a young startup entrepreneur to my mind i can visualize winning sequence if you may call it right which i have seen succeed for most of the you know good companies that i have seen right the winning sequence is that you know if you are literally sitting with a idea the first thing that you need to do is internalize the power of request right and i call it the power of request because you know many of the startup founders try to do a lot of things on their own mm-hmm. right the power of request basically says that you need to let go of that internal mind block that you cannot it's a very confidential idea you cannot talk about it 
you should not seek advice mm-hmm. you should develop it internally the power of request is that you should talk about it with you know various people as many relevant people that you can find mm-hmm. who knows you might actually find a next co-founder there the next client willing client there the next investor there the next tech hack there and so on and so forth right so the successful entrepreneurs start talking about that idea with relevant people build up a team right mm-hmm. even before actually they build up a client base or technology they build up a team mm-hmm. with that team they put in a little bit of their money and start going about actually testing that idea in the market mm-hmm. this applies both to b2b and b2c and this is sector agnostic right as they are testing out the idea it can be technology led or it can be you know offering just on a services side of things they tweak the model they figure out how much the client is willing to pay for what right and without worrying about you know scalability about traction they figure out if the client is ready to sign and give me money right so that that point is the inflection point right many of the successful entrepreneurs don't see that okay i will raise funding and do all of that they first find out the first client who is ready to you know sign a check for the offering that they have and then they figure out the offering on the background with the help of technology and with the help of people and then they seek out you know funding and all of those things happen right now this isn't this is and i i am crossing now middle age but i come from that old you know mindset that this is exactly how even you know old companies like infosys and tcs who are now very successful they actually started like that mm. and that formula and this is not a new formula this formula still holds true in today's world because that is how organically you have figured out what is your niche you have paying clients you now will find investors and succeed right so to answer your question this is the kind of model that a startup founder should look at arshu thank you very much for the time you've given us i think your words of wisdom will listen to by thousands of people thank you so I'm much for grateful for here. all your insights thank you for listening to the brand called you podcast be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content you can follow us on youtube twitter facebook and instagram Simply search for the brand called you. Thank you and see you next week.